Welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, where we take your questions from Sunday's teachings in order to form a dialogue about the scriptures and what God is teaching each and every one of us. Well, welcome back to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Today is December 19th. It's week four in our Advent series. We looked at Nahum chapter one and then Matthew chapter two with the arrival of the, the Magi, the wise men at the birth of Jesus. And so uh, this morning we, we really kind of dove into or, or were focused around the idea of joy and how Jesus brought joy for all people, uh, at, uh, what we remember here at, at Advent at Christmas time. And so today on the podcast, joined again by Pastor Joseph. Joseph Scarfone serves as our pastor discipleship here at church. Greetings. It's good to be here. So, Joseph, um, again, we've you've been on the podcast a couple of times. We saw you in the video announcement here this morning, but just you're new to our staff. You guys just closed on a house That's this right. week. We're so excited. Yeah. So uh, you and your wife and your six kids were all living in a three-bedroom apartment. It was fun. It was a, it was wa- a lot of fun for four months. My neighbors loved us, and uh, we are excited to be in our new space. And because we have space, yeah. we did this really yeah. amazing thing. Uh, for the last four months, is our favorite word was shh. <laughs> and now we haven't said that at all since we moved into the new place. So we are so grateful. We feel quite blessed to have a home. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So, yeah, so you guys you guys moved here, and uh, and so you serve as our pastor discipleship. But just if anyone doesn't know what that is, what do you what do you do on a week to week basis here? Yeah, so pastor discipleship is all about relationships, connecting with the different ministries, and I essentially look at it as a, the glue that puts all the ministries together. Yeah. So from adult fellowships to children's ministry, there are a lot of relationships that run behind the scenes and really helping each person in those different components to have a stronger relationship with Jesus and then empower them to make disciples themselves. Yeah, very cool, very cool. And that's really what our our life, you know, the heartbeat of this church is, right? We want to follow Jesus in a life-defining way. And and we want to be connected in relationships that are defined by Jesus, right? right. Life-defining relationships in Jesus. And so our group's ministry, whether you're in kids' ministry or a student's a teenager, or you're an adult. We really believe that groups are the most central aspect of growing in, uh, in likeness with Jesus. That's right. So we need to rub off on one another. And we do that is in relationship. Yeah. Life on life, hand in hand, arm in arm. We need to be connected to each other. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm so glad that you guys are here and helping us just run hard after that. You're doing such a good job there. And and you gave an announcement this week that we've got right now media, what, some 20,000 resources or 2,000 resources? 20,000. It's over 20,000. So uh, the resources will help us to better connect with Jesus in a life-defining way. So whether it's uh, a Bible study that you want to do on your own or connecting to doing worship at home with Seeds Family Worship, there are a bunch of different ways to get into some godly content that you don't have to worry about. Yeah. So parents, if you're, if you're, you know, got your kids at home now, they're just going to be going on Christmas break. That's right. Then so you're going, what are my kids are going to, what are my kids going to watch? What are we going to take in as a family? And you want to give them a break from Netflix or prime or whatever. Uh, there's tons of resources on there to help families lean into Jesus. And, and just to, you know, you, you, if your kids need some TV time, well, let me make there's, some recommendations. There's, there's great, wonderful things to, yeah. to watch there. Yeah, I, since I do have six kids, 10 and under, I could give a couple <laughs> recommendations. So You're living this For life. the littlest ones, I would recommend Boz. And for those who there are maybe like kindergarten on up, I would say either Bible Man or Superbook, which are a really cool animated series. Yeah, Superbook on is great. Giving just the story of the Bible. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And then for uh, for us as adults, we've got Bible Project stuff on there That's and right. all kinds of different things. So we can even lean into maybe if you're looking to have some downtime here over the holidays and you don't want to just uh, read whatever next uh, novel is out there or whatever um, yes. or, or binge some show, there's uh, there's all kinds of stuff you can lean into on Right Now Media that will help, uh, will help you flourish in your relationship with Jesus. That's so, right. That's yeah. good stuff. Well, here this morning again, we are we met the Magi this morning. The Magi, as we said, we there's a, there's a lot more speculation out there of who they are yeah. than really historical fact that we know. And so the Magi, we we see it nativity scenes, three kings, right? Uh, probably it's safe to assume that there's way more than three, right? Yes. These guys are are, are arriving with uh, lavish gifts that could be valued more over a million dollars. They are not insignificant gifts. And so you don't simply make a multi-month journey in antiquity with just three guys, just three guys and a couple camels. That no. just does not happen. So they're they're rolling deep. They've got an armada. They've got a posse that's coming with them. I, I like another word, entourage. An entourage. Yes. There we go. There we go. Uh, and so, but they're they're these amazing characters that that Matthew shines a light on for us because they're not Hebrews. They're not Jewish. Right. Um, they're some sort of God fearers that come to worship Jesus. Yes. Right? And and they do this through this connection, this mix of astrology and astronomy. Right. And and most scholars uh, understand or think that they had some exposure to Jewish wisdom literature, yes. Psalms, Proverbs, the Old Testament law, the Torah, uh, that they were exposed to this. That's why they came to Bethlehem. Yeah. Um, and then there's also this this miraculous work of God leading them That's right. through this star. Um, but when they arrive, they show up to the king's palace because there's a new king that's been born. That's where I would go. That's where you would go, yeah. right? They went to the most likely place. And when they when they arrive, uh, they meet Herod, who is king of the Jews. Sure. Herod Antipas is his name, technically. Um, his father, Herod the Great, has long passed. Right. And uh, and so Herod Antipas, has, um, he is living, he is ruling, um, and and he has sons. And so we got, we got a question here because... I think the way that I phrased in the sermon was that when the wise men showed up, when the Magi showed up, Herod is taken aback because he doesn't have a new baby, right? right? He doesn't have a new son. That's right. Right. And so, so he's going, wait, there's another King. There's one who is the rightful King. Right. Um, And Herod really, his power, he's a vassal King. He's not even really a pure King. That's right. And so he's ruling at the behest of the Roman empire. That's right. And so they've put him in place to be to rule and to keep peace in this region. Um, and so the question that came in, it, it said, if Herod, if Herod had no son, who was Archelaus? And so Archelaus is the name of one of Herod's sons. So uh, Joseph, as you studied biblical history here in New Testament history, right. the Herodian dynasty. Right. Um, yeah. Can you just unpack sort of uh, Herod, his his kingdom, his authority, those kind of things for us, so we can get a better picture of the Herodian dynasty in the first century? Yeah. So. Right now, what we're looking at is this idea that during the time of the visit is that there was no one in Herod's family that met the criteria. So yeah. there was no baby that was born. All his sons were older at the time. Yeah. So he's wondering, like, what's going on? I don't, I'm don't. i not sure where, where this goes. Uh, he would be versed in what the scriptures would have said. So for him, he's having a, a state of panic and he's confused yeah. because he knows it's not in his household and part of keeping a dynasty or getting a dynasty is making sure that the dynasty continues. Yeah. So he's in full-blown panic mode right now saying, yeah. all right, well, we've worked hard as a family to preserve this and we want to keep it preserved. Yeah. And and that's really where he's at. 
Yeah. And so Herod is Jewish. Yes. Um, but there's, there's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the connections back to the Davidic line, the pure Davidic line are tenuous at best for Herod. Sure. And, and so, so again, yeah, like you said, Joseph, as he's shown up, he doesn't have a baby. These wise men are looking for a newborn king. That's right. King of the Jews. And, and Herod has other sons. And in fact, when Herod uh, Antipas dies around 47 AD or so, um, his kingdom, uh, what is Galilee and Judea, uh, will be split into three, uh, three larger chunks that will That's be right. given to his primary sons. Yes. And then they will rule again as vassal kings under the Roman Empire. Yeah, you can look at it as as if they're governors of an area. Yeah, because the kingdom gets further divided. Yeah. Right. So so again, so uh, when the wise men show up, yes, Herod has other sons who do not meet the criteria that the wise men are looking for, and the wise men are showing up, and what they're saying is we we're looking for the one true king. Yes. Right. This is threatening to Herod, and Herod is not he is not a good king. He's not a kind man. He is a, an avenging man, as we as we read on in Matthew chapter two. Um, he ends up uh, committing genocide against all boys two years old or younger yeah. in Bethlehem. Why? Because he is threatened that this 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 king of the Jews that was born that the that the Magi are looking for is going to depose him of his power and his position. Uh, Herod's also a really interestingly conflicted figure. Joseph, I don't know if you knew this. When Herod died and was buried, he was actually buried facing Jerusalem I didn't because know that. because uh, in 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 Jewish theology, um, he you want to be buried facing where the Messiah is going to arrive. It's going mm-hmm. to have in, in, in his in his coming, and so he he was bo- he was buried facing Jerusalem so that uh, so that he would symbolically witness the coming of the Messiah. So Herod awesome. is this really interesting, like deeply conflicted character who, in the end of his life, still somehow attaches to Judaism and attaches to God. Um, but he's a, he's a deeply, deeply conflicted character. Sure. And um, yeah, so, so that's Herod, Herodian dynasty. Uh, it's a whole, it's a whole uh, area of New Testament study. Yeah. Um, but the point there that Luke or Matthew, or Matthew, excuse me, is really trying to make is that, is that Jesus is, the, is a long-promised and rightful heir on the Davidic line. He is yep. a long-promised one and the king that will reign. The, the thing that's really interesting to me is that they go to look for the king in the palace yeah. and the true king is not found in the palace. No, that's so, he's not. So beautiful. And, and you know, contrast that even fast forward. We're at the cross and Pilate, right. the Roman governor, he looks to Jesus and the text tells us that the Pilate knew Jesus wasn't guilty. That's right. Right. Pilate's main job is to keep peace. And, and there's this riot, there's this uproar around Jesus. And so Pilate is just trying to, his only job is to keep peace. Yeah. But he looks at Jesus and he he knows that Jesus isn't guilty. Right. And when he asks Jesus about his kingdom, well, you know, Jesus says it's not it's not on earth. Right. Right. My kingdom is my kingdom is in heaven. There's a spiritual kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so even then, when Jesus is is positioned with power, he's not yes. born in the palace. He's born in the manger. Right. At the moment, he could have claimed his his authority. Right. He goes, no, I'm gonna. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to yeah. give my life. Amen. Right? This is just this beautiful picture of Jesus, of God doing for man what man could never do for himself. Yes. Yeah. No, it's good. 
Well, our next question kind of builds into that. Last week, we focused on peace, okay. and we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, the one who comes to make us complete. That's really what the word shalom means. It's to be brought into a state of completeness. Okay. It's a really interesting word. Um, and you know, Joseph, I know you know this, you studied Hebrew, is that shalom is also, it can be a noun, it's a place that we arrive, right. but it's also a verb. Sure. So it's an action that we can be active in. Right. Uh, we can be active in completeness, which is, it's just mind-boggling to me, right? right? And and beautiful, all in the same the same breath. But so the question is this, uh, how are joy and peace different? Generally, it makes sense that they're two different things, but they're both a state of contentment. Uh, so when distinguishing, uh, so then when distinguishing them, um, or how do we distinguish them, or rather, can you have one without the other? And I think the, the simple answer here is no, you don't have one without the other. Sure. Um, but yeah, in your experience, you know, we've defined these things here in the last two weeks. Peace is this sense of uh, of wholeness that we're brought into through Jesus. And peace is this sense of uh, stability or assurance that it's, or excuse me, joy is a sense of stability that it's all going to be okay, yeah. right? Um, because we, we are in God's family. And sure. so, yeah, I think as you think about those two things of peace and joy, how do they go together? How are they different? How have you experienced them? Yeah, first I, I think of the fruit of the Spirit, that these are both significant fruit of the spirit and their working of the spirit. So in thinking through it, I don't know if you can really experience them separate. Yeah. You know, they kind of are in tandem. They, they complement each other. They, they are expressions that build each other up. Mm -hmm. And whenever you talk about having a a peace that transcends all understanding or this peace that comes from Jesus, there's another result. There's a, upward swelling of feeling of joy yeah. that comes from the hope that you have that's anchored in Christ. Yeah. And whenever you think about both joy and peace, I think they're perfect words to describe what happens at Christmas time. Yeah. And whenever whenever you're studying Christmas, those are the two prominent words that come yeah. through. It's just, yeah. you know, what's coming, it's this joy to the world, this hope that we have. Yeah. And then also the what's produced is this peace. That's the result. Yeah. It's a it's an amazing thing where these two attributes work together. Yeah, I think it's again, like you said, it, it really they, they do they flow in concert. They yeah. are unique in and of themselves, but they flow in concert together yes. through Christ. And so um, as we as we lean into what peace is, it's it's not merely just this absence of conflict. Yes. Right. And so often I think we, we look at it at that in that way. And it is, that's part of peace. Sure. There's an absence of conflict. And when Jesus comes into our life, we are set free from conflict. And the conflict is then again, the, the, the desires of the flesh, right? right? We're now, and we're set free from the conflict that we were with in God. We're no longer enemies. We're now friends. That's we're right. adopted into his family. So there is an absence of conflict, but it's something so much more than that. Right. You know, we, we are made uh, we are beginning to be made whole. We are we are being woven into God's family and into the likeness of Jesus. Paul says that we are given a new mind, mm. right? The the renewing of our mind is then a new nature that's right. and all those kind of things. Um, but as you said as well, I mean, so that's peace. We're being made whole, but it's experienced also within the context of joy. Yes. There's this resiliency that it's going to be okay. Yeah. Why? Well, because of God's past proven faithfulness. That's right. And so... We can have joy in our sorrow. Right. We can know that uh, Paul says in in, in um, is it Philippians? Yeah, Philippians four eleven to thirteen. I've sure. known in plenty. I've yeah. known in want. I've learned the the practice of being content in all of these things. Right. Paul saying I've learned to be joyful mm-hmm. in all of these things. Why? Because 
Well, because I've been adopted right. <laughs> into God's family. And I know whether I have plenty, it's, it's not because of me. It's God's blessing. Yes. I know that if I'm lacking, it's not because God's abandoned me. Uh, there's other things going on in sure. life. Um, and, and that uh, I, can then, I can follow Jesus in all the circumstances. So when he says I can do all things through Christ, oh, yeah. it's talking about suffering. That's right. It's talking about enduring and following Jesus in a life-defining way. And so, um, yeah, so it's interesting how, <clears throat> how peace and joy come together. Joseph, how have you experienced peace or joy or peace and joy in your life? Yeah, I think the the greatest expression of that is just going from enemy of God yeah. to child of God, yeah. child of the King. You know, the, there's this constant hostility in my life knowing that I was an enemy of God. And whenever I became mm-hmm. a Christian, that hostility ended immediately. Yeah. yeah. And the feeling th- that came over me from that was met with many tears. Yeah. But the peace that came from it, you know, you ever have a good cry and you just feel peaceful at the, yeah. at the end of it. And yeah. and that's been the the constant expression of my life is that since becoming a Christian, I have this peace that truly does transcend any understanding. I can't really explain it. Yeah. I know it comes from God. And then the joyful aspect of it is this hope that's rooted in the character of God that yeah. I'm looking forward to who he is and how he loves us. Mm. And that just produces a swelling feeling of joy. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got, you know, Joseph, in your story, you've got this, you know, this pretty dramatic moment of Mm. going from enemy of God to friend of God. Yes. Right. And I know as I've heard you, you tell your story. So even as you're just saying that now of that, uh, that moment was such an experience of of peace and of joy for you. Um, you know, as you as you as you've told your story, it is that of that th- this dramatic change from going against God, right. one who's bent against God, to one who's now in God's family. Mm. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful way to express that. Right. You know, um, I think for 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 me, it's this it's this idea of performance. You know, so for so much of my life, growing up as an athlete, and sure. in those circles, you're everything is judged on performance. Right. And yet, um, it, to be in God's presence and to be loved by God is to be saved from performance. Yeah, you know, it's it's a, it's a lot of you know Paul's experience in that way of him saying, you know, um, I've, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews of, right. of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, I circumcised on the eighth day, yeah. um, and so he says he says these things. He goes, look, if anybody has the right performance to earn God's love, it's it's me. I've sure done is. all the right things. Yeah. And yet he's set free from that, you yeah. know, from that performance. And so it's, it's this idea of joy where I can go, I know that I'm going to be okay, not because I've earned it. Um, I know that I'm being made whole because of who God is and because of what he's doing in my life. And so, yeah, so like you said, it's, it, it's for you, that moment of when you came to the Lord, it was this radical sense of peace right. and, and joy that followed from that. Um, and for me, it's often this moment of, I'm going to be okay even if I'm not, I'm not, you know, uh, hitting home runs or whatever, sure. right? I'm safe from that performance and that legalism. Yeah, I love what yeah. Paul said about his uh, lineage and all those things that were performance that he counted them as rubbish or yeah. dung. You know, they're yeah. absolutely worthless. Yeah. They don't have the power to save. It's only Christ. Yeah. And he is able to recognize that 
no matter that he had this blue bloodline or yeah. all these things that he had done right to check the box. Yeah. It's only Jesus that saves. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. And, and so I think, you know, what's one of the things that we talked about a little bit, we, we were in Nahum chapter one, which is an interesting years ago, the first time I read through Nahum and, and re, it's a, it's an interesting passage. Yeah. Um, it's not a book that you would go, oh, this is very hopeful, or this is very joyful, or this is very peace-oriented. Um, or Christmas-oriented. Or Christmas-oriented. <laughs> yeah. But as, we trace, as, we, as we've been tracing this story of, of Advent, right, the people, you know, the, the Christmas story, didn't, it didn't just happen in the manger scene 2,000 years ago right. with Mary and Joseph. It is this long culmination of God's people and God's right. promises. And so as we've tried to walk in this Advent series of beginning to trace some of those characters and some of those things and some of the prophetic voices that were along right. the way, um, Nahum comes in at this really interesting moment. Assyria is not yet overthrown, um, but God's people are in absolute turmoil, in absolute desolation. And, and, and his very opening words are to say that God is a jealous God, an avenging God, yes, and um, and those are those are they strike us uh, pretty harshly sure. in the modern world, right. um, but but as we looked at it, you know, I thought we should we could explore a little bit more. What does it mean for God to be a jealous God? Yeah. Because it's not a negative thing for God. It's not a sinful thing for God. For us, uh, it's often is jealousy is a very sinful expression. It's where I put my desires over someone else's personhood, right? Correct. My satisfaction is more important than you as a person right. is what we often, is what we actually are saying in jealousy, uh, where we manipulate and we control somebody to get something out of them. Right. Um, God does not manipulate us at all, no. right? I think that even stands clear in the passage there. God did not manipulate his people into faithful, faithfulness. No. Um, he allowed them to choose and some would choose as a faithful remnant. Um, allowed them to walk with them, and others abandoned it. Right. Um, and the destruction that they're facing are products of their abandonment of God. Um, but yeah, it's just as you think about this, Joseph, of God being a jealous God, how would you explain that to somebody when they're like, so jealousy is a sin, but the Bible says God's a jealous God. Tell me how God, how this all lines up. Yeah, I think a lot of times in our modern context, we can take words and put our culture into them. And I mm -hmm. think jealousy is one of those words that is is like that. Yeah, uh, We would have no problem saying, yeah, I, I think the first commandment's right. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. Yeah. Well, that means that God is a jealous God. Yeah. But we say it a different way. Yeah. You know, I think of some words that have been transformed through our time, like the word awful. Yeah. You know, you think about this word that we use it to describe something that's terrible. Yeah. Well, 400 years ago, it was used to describe something that was amazing. amazing. <laughs> it was so filled with awe. God is awesome. He's filled with awe. So you're but telling me that God is awful? <laughs> I think if you were to use the word the right way, how it was meant yeah. to be not in our own context yeah. now, yeah, God is awful. He's filled with awe. He's yeah. glorious. He's yeah. amazing. He's a radiance of beauty. And we should come to him being filled with awe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because of that, he is a jealous God. Yeah. We should have no other gods. There should be no idols. There should yep. be nothing but him and only him. And he is worth it. He's worthy. Yeah. That's what it that's what it's all about. Yeah. I, I think that's it's such a good such a good um uh just illumination for us and sure. a good and a good yeah. note for us to go. Language changes. That's right. And we can't we can't always import our own cultural understanding upon an ancient text. Yes. And so we have to understand it in the in the context. And like again, what you're saying here, Joseph, is 
There is no, no God greater than, than Yahweh. Amen. There's no God yes. greater than the one true God of the Bible. And that's what Nahum is saying. Right. He's saying there is no greater God than that. And, you know, Israel, Judah, Israel, this divided kingdom, if you want rescue, it's in him. It's always been in him. Right. He's the only one. And, and he'll go on again to say in chapter two and, and further, this is, this is the God that will rescue you if you place right. your faith in him. Um, and so, you know, the other the other side of this jealousy is that God wants the best for us. Yes, he does. As a father, I'm right. jealous for my kids. Yes. Right? I want the best for my kids. Now, that doesn't mean I want to manipulate, I shouldn't manipulate them or control them right. into that or overtly, you know, abusively control them into that. But it is that I look at my kids, I love my kids, and I want the best for them. And so I'm jealous for their flourishing. Right. God is jealous for our flourishing. He right. looks at us as his children and he goes, I love you. I want the best for you. But the difference between me as a father and our heavenly father as a father, he's always able to deliver. That's right. I'm not. Yeah. And uh, and so I have to I have to be able to reconcile that I experience the taste of that as a father, but also hold it in tension that I'm not God. That's right. And so even when I want the best for my kids, I'm going to fall short in, in in how I lead them in that way. But our father in heaven loves us and wants the best for us and wants our flourishing. And he never falls short. You yeah. know, I yeah. think the other issue with this is that whenever you think about this word jealousy, it carries a negative connotation to us. And whenever you yeah. put that upon God, you need to do it with all of his attributes. You can't divorce God's yeah. attributes. So if you're saying God is a jealous God, well, he's a loving, merciful, gracious, kind, good God. Yeah. And if he's jealous, it must be a jealousy that fits with those other attributes. Yeah. So for, for us, it's just understanding that he, he wants to be our singular focus. Yeah. And that's what he desires of us is to yeah. give all of us for all of him. Yeah. And if he really is the one true God of the universe, he deserves Absolutely. to be our singular focus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm bringing it back. Matthew chapter two, the Magi. Yeah. They saw that Jesus deserved to be worshiped. That's right. They saw that he was the one true rightful king. Amen. They're not, they're not Hebrews. Right. <laughs> they, they, they don't belong, you know, they're not reading uh, to the, the book of the law necessarily. Um, and the, and the, the, the Jewish king and the Jewish scholars that were there missed it. Yeah, I think it's so yeah. ironic that it had to be somebody outside of Israel to show them that the Messiah was there. They yeah. had been so far removed from who God was that they didn't even know their own story anymore. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, so again, God deserves to be our singular focus of worship. Yes. Yeah. So, well, Joseph, thanks for joining here again on the, on the Beyond the Sermon po- podcast. And I just love, doing I it. love these questions as we get to talk about Herodian dynasty and the nature of joy and peace. Yes. And then, and then even this idea of, of if God is a jealous guy, just wrestling with the hard things in the text, but are brilliantly beautiful things when we understand them in context. And as we can just continue this dialogue around the scriptures. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'll hope to see you and worship with you here on Christmas Eve. And And then next Sunday as we jump back into our series on Acts. So hope you have a great week and uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We'll see you.